the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think, therefore I am. These are the famous words of René Descartes, one of the fathers of the Enlightenment, which was an era that was marked by the triumph of the mind, of reason, as the core, as the center of human being, of what it means to be a human. I think, therefore I am. My existence is defined by my mind, my thoughts. Furthermore, it's as it is through my rational capacity that I engage with the world around me and with God. This differs very much from Orthodox Christianity, or rather from the understanding of all Christians for more than a millennium. Rather than, I think, therefore I am, the orthodox understanding or equivalent would be something more like, don't trust your thoughts. <laughs> Just as our body is susceptible to temptation and sin, so likewise our mind, our noose. Because ultimately our mind is a part of our bodies. And so it can become covered up, disfigured, brought into sin. I'm sure you've had that experience of having your thoughts lead you completely in the wrong direction about a situation or about a person, and you only realize too far in or later afterwards, wow, I don't know what I was thinking. Or when you see that someone is clearly encumbered by a passion, let's say anger, and you can see in their interactions with other people how it clouds and covers everything that they do. Today we celebrate St. Gregory Palamas, who signifies both the essence of Orthodox theology and anthropology, and also the fundamental difference between Orthodox Christianity and the West. In the West, the mind, our rational capacity, is the means by which we can know God. Descartes' famous dictum comes from the fourth part of his philosophical treatise, Discourses on the Method of Rightly Conducting One's Reason in which he proves God's existence through rational argumentation. Of course, many great minds since then have spent much time and have continued the trend of proving or disproving God's existence. The debate rages on today. Not just the well-known personalities of Christopher Hitchens or other people like that, but also in our own lives. We debate about God, we try to prove God, in traditional Christianity, the faith of the Orthodox Church, our spiritual life does not hinge upon our rational capacity. Knowledge about God and actually knowing God are two different things, even if they're interrelated. Our spiritual life is not centered upon understanding or comprehending God, but rather on getting to know God himself through direct communion. Simply put, it's a matter of the heart, not of the mind. Think about how we experience human relationships. Closeness is felt through the heart, and our mind has a secondary position of aiding, or in some cases, of distracting from our relationship. Love, empathy, compassion are all feelings of the heart, of the body. The ancient Greeks knew this. They described the word for compassion, mia, has within it the root that we get the word spleen. Our feeling of compassion comes from within us. And we feel that bodily, viscerally, 
when we have true and deep compassion, it comes from inside of us. It doesn't come from up here. Likewise, the ancient Jewish people understood that faith is a direct and personal relationship with a living God who is intimately involved in their lives. What about our relationship with God? He created us and gave us close human relationships so that they can model for us the relationship of our Heavenly Father. We must remember this because in the richness of Orthodox worship and spiritual life, if we're not careful, we can easily obscure our own lack of a real relationship. We can focus on following God's rules and not really desire to be with him or united with him. My brothers and sisters, here is where we meet God, not here. And this brings us to St. Gregory Palamas. He lived in the early 14th century. He was drawn to monasticism so much so that he convinced all of his brothers and sisters and his widowed mom to take up the monastic garb as well. At age 22, he went to Mount Athos with his brothers, and he would have stayed there his whole life. But his fellow monks asked him to defend their way of life from a man named Barlam. Now, Barlam was from Italy, from the Greek part of Italy, at the, the tip of Italy, and he became a monk on Mount Athos. And as a monk there, he said, why are there these ignorant people who aren't actively seeking out reading and knowledge and understanding of philosophy so that they can know God. Instead, he called them belly gazers because they were sitting in prayer. Their focus was upon stillness and quiet in prayer. And so he said, this is the wrong way. You can't experience God in that way. You experience God by knowing about God, by learning about God. And he said that philosophers are higher than the prophets because their knowledge of God surpasses the prophets. Knowledge and learning, not contemplative prayer, is the path towards God. This is what Barlam said. So St. Gregory Palamas writes a defense called Triads in the Defense of the Holy Hesychasts. According to Metropolitan Eurotheos Vlachos, he said, St. Gregory Palamas wrote that the heart is the place of rational faculty. It's the first rational organ of the body. Thus, we must struggle to bring the noose, the mind, back into the heart where its natural place is. How many of us think of our heart as the place of our rational faculty? Well, you have to understand what the word rational is. Logikos is the Greek word. Logikos comes from the word logos. You see, the Logos is the one who gives us our rational mind, our rational heart, rather. And it is only in communion with him that we become rational. You see, in our Western inheritance, the presumption is that we have a rational mind. But what we understand in orthodoxy is that rational is what we are trying to get to. And rational has its source and its place in Jesus Christ himself. While there is much that could be said about St. Gregory Palamas's teachings, and I won't spend hours here, and these were ultimately affirmed by a synod in Constantinople where Barlam was condemned, 
Many call it the ninth ecumenical council, though it wasn't an ecumenical council, but because the teachings were so important to the Orthodox faith. I'll focus simply on two aspects, stillness and light. Stillness, quiet, isikia. This is where we get the word hesychast or hesychasm, is that it is about stillness, about quiet. Through stillness, we acquire the right ordering of our being, the mind being led by the heart. I'll just say a little side note here. Sometimes we think of heart in the Western way, that heart is this place of emotions. We have to completely abandon that. In fact, the place of emotions in our orthodox understanding, where is that? It's here. This is the place of our emotions, of our passions. But our heart is not. So the mind being led by the heart is what our goal is. But our disordered way is to have our mind leading. So we make our mind subject to our heart by quieting the mind. This is the goal. Stillness and silence, we all know, is very hard. Our mind almost never stops. It's like a dog in a park running from one scent to another, on and on and on, going here to there to there. We experience this even more when we try to quiet our mind. We start to see. So our heart must tightly leash our mind. After all, what's going on inside of the mind? We're conversing with ourselves, right? Evaluating and judging everything we see and hear and experience. If a person has an internal conversation out loud, we call them crazy. Right? You see this occasionally on the street. Person talking to themselves. But if we keep it inside of ourselves, that's just like every one of us. And that's okay. And just who are we conversing with? After all, you can't have a conversation without two. Even a monologue is to someone. This is where our enemy does his work. He places thoughts in our head. That person was rude. I can't believe I did that. They're jealous of me. I'm worse than everyone at this. He tangles us up in ways of thinking that are harmful and sinful. Our thoughts color, inform, distort, and affect everything that we do, everything that we see and hear and experience. We're so encumbered by our thoughts. They're like a screen or a veil or a fog through which we interact with others and most importantly with God. Thus the answer lies in stillness and quieting the mind so that it can no longer run from here to there but is guided by the heart. In the triad, St. Gregory Palamas said that the returning of the noose from the outside world, from being affected by everything that's going on, to the heart, and then its ascent from there to God is the only way for man to acquire pure knowledge of God. Stillness is the path to God. St. Peter in his epistle said, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. That gentle and quiet spirit is essential to our communion with God. You remember Elijah, who talked with God and was shown his presence? 
It wasn't in the great powerful wind. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. It was in the sound of a gentle breeze. We quiet our minds so that we can hear God's presence. Describing this state, the prophet David said, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother is my soul within me. That's Psalm 131. <laughs> so how do we practice stillness? Start. Start. Start by seeing what is going on in your mind and pausing it. Silencing it. And of course, we find that silencing our mind is very difficult, and so this is why we need prayer, especially what we call the prayer of the heart, the Jesus prayer. But the starting point is to simply start doing it. What's the opposite? Every other moment of our life, every other moment of our life, our waking life, we are constantly in a race of conversation with ourselves, monologues, judgments, criticisms, passions. So just start. Start in the morning. Do it in the evening. Throughout your day, whenever you can. Every single step that we take towards stillness is a step toward God himself. Not knowledge of God. Knowledge of God helps us, but ultimately true relationship with God and communion with God. The other aspect that I wanted to speak about briefly, besides stillness, is this aspect of light, of divine light. We can't talk about St. Gregory Palamas without talking about this. St. John the theologian in his gospel said that Jesus Christ was the life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And a little while later in his gospel, he further quotes Christ, who said, This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. In all of the hymns for St. Gregory Palamas for his feast day today and in Vespers last night, said many references. He, called, he was called the preacher of the light of God who shined forth in contemplation. And in another hymn, it called him the lamp of divine light, the resplendently shining star that illumines creation brilliantly. In arguing for the traditional methods of prayer, St. Gregory Palamas described the fruit of this stillness in prayer which is experiencing the divine energies of God. The divine energies of God, this might be a hard concept. Just think of the sun. We experience the sun not by touching the sun, not by living on the sun's surface, but we still experience the sun by partaking in its warmth and in its light. Likewise with God, he has given us his divine energies, which is a partaking in himself. His divine energies, his grace, which comes upon us. And this comes to us through stillness. So the proof of this life of stillness being the true path towards God is in these experiences of the uncreated light. We see that in the Gospels on Mount Tabor, when the three apostles go with Christ up to the mountain on transfiguration, 
and he reveals to them his glory in this light. And of course, we know in our Orthodox life and experience that there are stories of saints who have been bathed in this light, who have experienced this light, which always comes with it joy and peace and experience of the eternal kingdom and never wanting to leave that light. Such joy. So this is his proof, concrete proof of God having communion with us. And this brings us to the most important thing of everything that St. Gregory Palamas taught, which is we created beings can have real communion with the uncreated God. Not just thoughts about God or knowledge of God, but union and communion. St. Gregory said that theology differs from the vision and experience in the same way that the knowledge of a thing differs from the possession of it. When we experience God himself, we possess God. He gives himself to us, which is very different from knowing about God. Barlaam said, no, we can't be united with God. We can only grow in the knowledge of God. Barlaam's way of thinking has plagued Western Christianity since the 14th century. Interestingly, Barlaam went on to teach Petrarch and Giovanni Boccaccio, two figures who are leaders in the Italian Renaissance, which was what paved the way to the Enlightenment. Notice that word, the Enlightenment. What is being enlightened in the Enlightenment? Our mind. But that's not how we enlighten it. We enlighten it through our heart. Now, brothers and sisters, you can have real communion with God. Everything that we have in the church should not become a distraction from real communion with God. It shouldn't become, I'm being an Orthodox Christian by doing these things. Rather, these things are modes through which I can have real communion with God. But that starts with the quieting of our mind. May God grant each and every one of us true isikia, true stillness, true silence. Amen. Sundays of Great Lent are the liturgy of St. Basil the Great, which you can follow along in this supplement. <laughs>